We're picking up our study of 1 Corinthians again after a week's hiatus last week and um, coming to a new, new section here where Paul is dealing with the topic of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, page 1136. If you're new with us today, welcome. Uh, we are studying through Corinthians this year. We come to an interesting section. Let me start with a little confession. Um, sometimes when we're here in church together on a Sunday morning and we're singing music together, I, I sometimes get distracted from the singing by the drums. And I have this thought in my head. I wish I could play drums like that. I love drums. I, you know, and different people like different instruments. I've always been a rhythm percussion person. I, I love electronic dance music because it just has driving rhythms to it. And uh, when I hear real experts like Jim Weston and uh, Jonathan Goodwin playing drums for us, so, you know, I have to stay focused. Like, it's about Jesus. But I'm like, oh, I'm almost coveting their drum playing abilities. Maybe you don't feel that way about drums. Maybe you feel that way about the piano. Or maybe when you hear certain people open their throats and make a noise, you think, I wish I could sing like that. How come they can sing like that? And I just kind of mumble because I don't want to inflict my voice upon the other worshipers around me. Maybe you see other people in the church and you think, how does that guy open his Bible, read it, and get all of that stuff out of it, and then is able to communicate it to other people? I wish I could do that. Or maybe you see someone else and you say, you know, she just seems like people are drawn to her with their problems and she's able to get right to the nub of the matter and give them wisdom that helps them figure things out. I, I wish I had that kind of wisdom and insight. Or, or that guy over there, he's always talking about Jesus to people. I'm lucky if I have two conversations in a year about Jesus with strangers. And this guy's like sharing the gospel with people every week. It just is natural. Oh, yeah, I was talking to the guy picking up the garbage the other day. We were there for 15 minutes talking about Jesus. Like, how do you do that? Some people just seem to be able to do that. Or, or, or what about this, this uh, lady over here? And she's, she seems like she's always cooking meals for people, helping out people. She's, she almost has a sixth sense about who needs what. And she's there meeting needs in the church. And we look at different people with their gifts, and you sometimes can almost feel covetous. Why, why can't I do that? I wish I could serve in that way. Some of us feel that we, we're not even sure what we have to give to the church. We don't feel gifted at all. Some of us just feel kind of tired, and we feel weak. We, we, we say, I don't have any money really to give. I don't have a lot of time to give. I don't know what my talents are. Some of us just feel old. Some of us feel unhealthy. Our, our bodies are broken in different ways. Our, our emotions are, are damaged. And, and for some of us, it's just a miracle that we're in church on a Sunday. You know, like, I'm just glad to be here, let alone to think I would actually have something to contribute to others. I, I, I'm just glad I'm in the doors, let alone putting out and giving out for the good of others. Have you ever felt like a chewed-up dog toy in a Ken and Barbie dream church. <laughs> well, this morning we come to 1 Corinthians 12, and Paul addresses this topic of spiritual gifts from chapter 12 all the way actually through chapter 14. So three chapters, it, well, these chapters in our books, he didn't write chapters. But uh, for, for this section, 
we're dealing with this issue of spiritual gifts. He says in chapter 12, verse 1, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. And anytime we start talking about spiritual gifts, we all kind of get excited. That's a, it's one of those topics like, ooh, spiritual gifts. Ah, you know, hmm, I'm interested. You know, I was like, what are my gifts? And how can I use my gifts? And what about the weird gifts and speaking in tongues? And what is that? And does that happen today? And we get into all those kinds of things. Um, and it's, it's interesting. But I think we need to start by remembering, why did Paul write so much about spiritual gifts in Corinthians? Let's start with the original context. And the reason Paul talks so much about spiritual gifts was because in the church in Corinth, it was yet another, yet another thing they were fighting about. That was the issue. That's why he wrote about it. They were fighting. Chapters 1 through 4, we find out they were fighting over who's the best leader. I like Paul. I like Apollos. Chapter 6, we find out they're taking each other to court. Chapters 8 through 10, they're fighting about whether or not you can eat food offered to idols and whether or not, you know, how to treat each other. Chapter 11, the Lord's Supper. There's the haves and the have-nots, and some people are eating and some people are going hungry. And so even spiritual gifts, they can't even get to the spiritual gifts because they're all caught up in how those gifts might make them better than the others in the church and the competition between the different members. And so here is Paul in chapters 12 to 14 straightening out another problem in this troubled congregation. And so, so let's look at what he has to say. We're going to look at chapter 12 today. And I want to point out three major teachings in chapter 12 about this idea of gifts from the Holy Spirit given to us to share with others. I want to talk about three sort of movements in this chapter. And and each of these three central truths about spiritual gifts, they kind of build on top of one another, one after the other after the other. So, So we have to take them in order because there's a cumulative argument that Paul is making through the chapter. So I want to trace the argument with you and start with um, two, verses 1 to 3 is the first part, then 4 to 11, and then 12 to the end of the chapter. So, so let's just start with the beginning, verses uh, 2 to 3. Here's the first thing you need to know about spiritual gifts. Here's the first truth. And this is going to sound simple, but, but again, this is foundational and it leads to the next truth. But here's the first truth you have to understand. Every true Christian has the Holy Spirit. I know that sounds really simple, but that's the basis. Every true Christian, every real biblical Christian in the Bible's sense of the word has the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. You can't become a Christian without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and real Christianity are part and parcel. Look at chapter 12, verses 2 to 3. He says, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray. There were forces working on you. You were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. You can't say, Jesus is Lord, without the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can say it. Anybody can say those words. But that, you know what Paul's saying. You can't Say it. You can't confess it. That, that can't be your heart's cry and, and your true belief. Nobody confesses, believes that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. Now, this is helpful for Paul to tell them this because 
Like he said, they were coming from a pagan background. In pagan backgrounds, there's lots of spirits, lots of gods, lots of magic and witchcraft that was taking place. So, so he kind of had to straighten them out, and they're thinking about spirits. Um, just uh, this last couple weeks, I've met a guy um, who uh, I found out he goes to church. I said, where do you go to church? He says, I go to the spiritualist church. I don't know if you're familiar with spiritualist churches. It's not a Christian church. It's, it's into spiritualism. It's this idea that there are spirits on the other side that we need to contact and stay connected to. So part of every worship, worship service is a seance. And there's mediums there to help you get in contact with spirits. So now imagine if someone from that church were, were to start coming to a Christian church that looks to God's Word. Think of all the, the sorting out you would have to do to that person. Okay, wait a minute. When we're talking about spirits, we're talking about this, not that. And we're talking about this, not that. It would take some explanation to help that person kind of think a different way about spiritual things. And so here's Paul trying to kind of rewire them a little bit and say, no, 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 listen, okay, here, let's start with the basics. It's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that helps us say Jesus is Lord. And, and if you really have the Holy Spirit, you won't say Jesus is cursed And if you really have the Holy Spirit, you'll say Jesus is Lord. That's an evidence of having the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus Christ. Because it's His Spirit that's within us. So let me ask you. Do you have, do you have the Holy Spirit? I didn't ask, do you like our church? Or do you go to church? Or are you trying to be a law-abiding citizen? I didn't ask that. I said, do you have the Holy Spirit? I didn't ask, this is important, are you spiritual? Okay? I mean, God made us all with a spiritual capacity. And it seems like everyone today is spiritual. If you go walk in the beach in Nantasket and watch the sunrise, that was spiritual. I mean, that that word is used so broadly, it it, it means almost everything and therefore nothing. Uh, I'm not talking about having an experience that feels big. I'm talking about, do you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you? And you say, well, how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? What, what's the test for that? Well, there's, there's several things the Bible teaches, but here's a basic one. How do you feel about Jesus? And if you look in your heart and you say, I love Jesus. Well, that's the Spirit of God. Nobody loves Jesus without the Spirit of God. It's impossible to. When, when we're singing this worship song up here about, you know, all the glory, all the glory to Jesus, you know, are you, are you more than just kind of caught up in the music, but is your heart saying, yes, oh, all the glory to Jesus. I wish everybody glorified Jesus. That's the heart of a real Christian. That's the Holy Spirit. When, when you come to those moments in your life that we all do, where we just have those moments where reality sets in and we realize, I am really a sinful, messed up person. Our sin comes home to roost. We realize that there's still things in our life that needs to be fixed. What do you do in those moments? Do you fall into despair and hopelessness? There's no hope for me. Or, or do, you, do you get determined, all right, this is it. I'm going to fix it up this time. I'm going to overcome my problems. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the spirit of man. The Holy Spirit says, when we come to f- deal with our brokenness, where's Christ? 
I need him. Jesus, you died for me. I know I'm forgiven. And Jesus, you have to give me fresh power to overcome the sin in my life. The person who's filled with the Spirit is always going back to Christ and is filled up with love for Christ. I've told this story before, but I, 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 it, it was so helpful for me. This guy I know became a Christian. And he says, as he describes his experience of becoming a Christian, he says, one day it was as if in the furnace of my heart a pilot light suddenly clicked on of love for Christ that wasn't there before. And I loved him. That's the Spirit saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus himself said, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are, what? Born again. You have to be born again by the Spirit of God that then puts this faith and this love for Christ inside of you. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Can I just pause the sermon for a second and pray for us that God would give us His Holy Spirit? Let me just pray. Oh Lord, we cry out to You for Your Holy Spirit to come upon this church. God, I pray for anybody here who doesn't have Your Spirit, who doesn't love Christ, oh Lord, that You would turn on the pilot light of faith in their soul. God, I pray for those of us here who do love You, Jesus. Our, our love for You has a hole in it and it's always leaking. We need more of Your Spirit's power in this church. Oh God, baptize this church afresh in the Holy Spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, Amen. That leads to the second major truth about the gifts of the Spirit. The first is, every true Christian has the Holy Spirit. And now this leads to the second truth. Okay, so the truths are going to start building now. The second thing Paul wants to show us in verses 4-11 to now is that the Holy Spirit gives a broad variety of gifts to every Christian. There's all kinds of gifts given, and every Christian has one. And the purpose of the gifts is to build up the church. So the Holy Spirit, the one Holy Spirit, gives a diversity of gifts, one to every Christian, sometimes multiple to each Christian. It's whatever the Spirit determines. And those gifts are to be used to build up the church. So let me read verses 4 to 11. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God who works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still, to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. It's a rich section, but there it is. The Holy Spirit gives the gifts. They come from Him just as He determines. We, we don't pick and choose our gifts. You know, it's, it's not like a menu at, at Chipotle uh, where we pick what we want on our burrito. God gives the gifts. How He wants, who He wants, where He wants, it's up to Him. And those gifts are given to every Christian. That's really cool, isn't it? If you're a Christian, you have gifts of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go to seminary to get gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
It's not like, great job in seminary. Here's your diploma and here's your spiritual gift. You know, well, I can teach now, you know. It's not, you know, it's, it's not like the, you know, the, the tin man getting a heart or something. I mean, it's every Christian. If you're really a Christian and you've been a Christian for one year, you have spiritual gifts. If you're really a Christian, you've been a Christian for one month, you have spiritual gifts. If you just became a Christian today, if you become a Christian right now by putting your faith in Jesus Christ by His Spirit, you'll have spiritual gifts. They need to be, in some cases, opened, unwrapped. The gifts need to be taken out of their package. You may need to read the instructions. You might need to find some other people with a similar gift and be like, what do I do with this? You've got to use your gifts. Gifts, I, I think, I have a very dynamic understanding of spiritual gifts, I think, from Scripture, that there's all kinds of gifts. They come in different sizes and strengths. They can grow if we use them. If you don't use them, they don't grow. It's, so there's very much a participation in this that we have to do. We have to use them and, and flex the gift muscles and grow in those gifts over time. But the point is, if you're really a Christian, you have the Spirit, and if you have the Spirit, the Spirit will give you gifts that you need to find and unwrap and use as God gives them to you in the church. And here's the important thing, verse 7. What's the purpose of the gifts? Therefore, the what? The common good. Therefore, the common good. The reason we have spiritual gifts is to build up others, not to build up ourselves. It's for the whole church and the whole church's edification and strengthening. This is where the Corinthians got off track. Because they thought the gifts were all about them. They thought the gifts were there to make them kind of better than others and one-up one another and, and brag and boast to one another. It was yet another way of sort of sorting themselves out socially into a hierarchy and a pecking order. Uh, we, we know from what we'll see in chapter 14, it seems, for instance, that one of the gifts they really valued in Corinth was speaking in tongues. And so Paul has to kind of set that right and set that in order. But they're sort of like, hey, look at this dramatic experience I'm having of speaking in tongues. I must be more spiritual than you kind of a thing. But they had missed the point that the purpose of the gifts is to build up the body. And I think we fall into that trap too. You know, sometimes we forget it. That's one of the dangers, I think, when you start coming to this topic of spiritual gifts is that we instantly turn it into a focus on ourselves. Who? What are my gifts? What am I good at? What does God want to do with me? How come other people don't appreciate me and my gifts? <laughs> you know, we're, we're just, we're very self-obsessed. We live in a very self-obsessed culture. We're so fascinated with ourselves. We're the most interesting thing we can think of. We love personality tests. Oh, another test about me. Huh. For those of you who are our fellow prisoners of Facebook... Um, one of the, the infections that has been raging through Facebook lately are all these stupid uh, quizzes about yourself. You know, there's like, and they're, they're all like, they're real, they're, they're just kind of jokes. But, you know, there's like the Star Wars quiz. Which Star Wars character are you? I was Obi-Wan. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's right, Obi-Wan. Um, there was the which Disney princess quiz are you? I didn't take that one. There was, which state should you really live in? I got Wyoming. I was like, it's way colder there. That does not make sense to me. It's cold enough here. I couldn't live there. That's even colder. 
But, you know, we're obsessed with thinking about ourselves, and we're all so special, aren't we? And we're all so important individuals, right? And you really need to love and learn about and embrace yourself. That's the gospel of our culture. The good news is more about me, more about me. So I want to be careful that we don't fall into the Corinthian trap here, and we, don't, we forget that the point of the gifts are for you. It's for others. That's why the gifts are given. It reminds me of, um, for some reason this is the image that came to my head, it, it, it reminds me of like a four-year-old going to a birthday party. You know, a four-year-old gets invited to another four-year-old's birthday party. It, you know, it's just, it's such an event. And, uh, and so you've got to get the gift. But who buys the gifts for the, for the four-year-old? Mom and dad. Okay, mom. And uh, she gets the gifts. Mom buys the gift. Mom picks it out, mom pays for it, mom wraps it, mom puts it in the bag, mom puts the, tar- the card, mom gets the funny card, she asks the four-year-old to draw something and he, you know, scribbles, and then they put it in the bag, and then mom drives the four-year-old to the, the party, and then mom takes him up to the door, and at the last minute, before, right before mom rings the doorbell, she says, okay, this is the present for the birthday boy. When they open the door, you say happy birthday, and you hand it to them. Like, okay, you know, ding dong, and the door opens, and the kid's like, and then... Then the party starts. And, and, you know, and, and that's how gifts work. God is the parent. God makes the gifts, assigns the gift, gives the gifts. And all we do is we're just the four-year-old who bring the gift to each other. And go, eh, you know? <laughs> that's all we are. We're given gifts for each other. And we're like four-year-olds because what happens at a four-year-old party? The kid who gives the gift suddenly thinks it's his because he carried it in. And so the, the birthday boy's opening it, and the other four-year-old's over there, like, tearing it, and the mom's pulling him off, like, that's not yours. He's like, it's mine. I touched it, so it's mine. And we're like four-year-olds. We have to remember, the gifts aren't about us. They're about each other. They're about serving and building up and encouraging each other in the body of Christ. The, uh, the, the church is God's great tool for spiritual growth. If you want to grow in your faith in Christ and you're not plugged into a local church, you're going to struggle. Because the great power that God has given for spiritual growth is the body of Christ. And if you're disconnected and floating around, don't be surprised if you're floundering in your faith. You're not using the tools. They're right here in front of you. The church is God's great Swiss army knife, full of all kinds of tools and implements for the work of growing in our faith. Here's some of those in verses 8 to uh, uh, 8 to 10, you get a list of them. There's this message of wisdom and the message of knowledge. What's the difference between that? I don't really know. The Bible doesn't make that super clear. But apparently, wisdom and knowledge were kind of different things, I guess. One person has faith. Have you ever met someone with a gift of faith? I mean, every Christian has faith, but some people really seem like, like they do crazy things. Like, why are you doing that? Don't you trust God, man? Yeah, but I wouldn't do that. It'll work out. Are you sure? And then they do it, and then it works out. And you're like, how'd you know that would work out? They're like, I just had faith. Don't you have faith? Like, yeah, but that's crazy. People have, some people have a gift, a powerful gift of faith. Some people have gifts of healing. They, they pray for people, and people get better. You know, I've seen, we've prayed for people in our church. Some people get better sometimes. It's amazing how God works. The gifts of distinguishing between a prophecy. We'll talk about that in chapter 14. The, the gift of distinguishing different types of tongues and speaking in tongues. Again, we'll talk about that in chapter 14. One crisis at a time, please. Um, 
You'll notice in, at the end of chapter 12, there's other gifts, other gifts listed. Look at the end of chapter 12, verse 28. Apostles, prophets, teachers, working miracles of healing, gifts of administration. Isn't that interesting? Those with helps, it says in verse 28. Different kinds of tongues. If you go to chapter 12 of the book of Romans, don't turn there, but if you're interested in digging into this, go to Romans chapter 12. You'll see yet different gifts. Gifts like encouragement, charitable giving, leadership, all kinds of gifts. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 if you want. You'll see there's a gift of evangelism in a different so This is all kinds of gifts. I, I, don't, I don't personally believe that any of these gifts are exhaustive or complete, but that God has all kinds of work and all kinds of gifts and all kinds of variety and shapes. So even two people with the gift of teaching aren't exactly the same in how they teach or where they're most effective teaching. God is just this incredible, has this incredible diversity of gifts among his body that the Holy Spirit distributes out there in all these different ways. It's an amazing thing. And so that leads us to the third truth. And I think this is really the one that Paul was aiming for. He was driving toward. And it's in verses 12 to the end of the chapter. And and the final sort of major truth in this passage is this. Therefore, we need each other. We need each other. If it's true that every Christian has the Holy Spirit, and if it's true that the Holy Spirit has distributed a whole variety of gifts all throughout the body to all the Christians for the, for the purpose of building each other up, that the way God is going to mature us as Christians is people using their gifts in the body. Therefore, the conclusion is, we need each other. We're interdependent. You, you can't grow as a Christian out there soloing on your own. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Really? What Bible are you reading? You know, I love Jesus, but I hate his bride. Really? <laughs> Don't tell me that. I like you, Jeremy. Your wife, though. Like, whoa. Jesus, you're great. I hate your bride. It's crazy. This is his body. This is his bride. We need each other. This is where God has designed us to grow and develop is in local congregations. And, of course, the, the great metaphor that's used in chapter 12, the, the famous metaphor in chapter 12 to describe what the church is like is what? What's the big metaphor of chapter 12? The body. The human body becomes a metaphor for what God's plan for the church is. Let me read verses 12 and 13. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Every Christian has the Spirit. Every Christian has been baptized in the Spirit. Every Christian has spiritual gifts. And therefore, we form a body, lots of different parts, but, but we're all there. You know, just lots of different gifts, lots of different backgrounds, but we're all there, and, and we're interconnected as a body. You know, what a wonderful metaphor. Think of the human body. Human body's amazing. Cells. Each cell is like a little galaxy of complexity. I mean, really, the cell is an amazing thing. And then cells form tissues, interdependent, and the tissues come together and they are knit together to form organs. And the organs work together to become organ systems. 
And then there's multiple systems. The body is the system of systems. It's a, it's a universe full of galaxies, full of universes, full of galaxies, of complexity. And, and it's all interdependent and interwoven. I, I don't know if, if some of you here struggle with belief in God. You know, go read a physiology book. Just let it blow your mind, the complexity and the amazingness of just the human body alone. It, it is, it, it's, it's more des- better designed than, than a computer, than any other thing that people design. It's an incredible thing. And within the body, we see both diversity, but also a fundamental systemic unity that's very profound. And again, this is where the Corinthians had gone wrong. They didn't see the church as a body. They saw the church as kind of a stage for getting attention. They saw the church as another venue for social climbing and competition and all that kind of thing. And we have to be careful, too, that we really see the church the way God did, that we see it as a body. And that will change how you relate to the church if you see it as a body where we all need each other and we're all interdependent and connected to each other as believers. We can't see the church as kind of a spiritual Walmart where we go to get the things we need personally no, no, we're part of a body, and, and the body needs each other. It's interdependent. And, and when you see that idea that, that we all need to be part of a, a body, a local body, a local church, every Christian needs to be in a local church. I was teaching the membership class last week, and I was telling the, the people in that class, our church is not the only church. <laughs> South Shore Baptist Church is not the true church. There are lots of good biblical churches all around the world, but we're one church, and you need to be in a church somewhere and committed to a church so that you can experience this body life. If, if you're not integrally committed and, and intentionally committed to a local congregation, how, how can you possibly live out anything in chapter 12? It's for a body and a community because we're all interdependent. We all need each other. Everyone matters because we've all been given gifts and parts of the body. When we really understand the body imagery and our interconnectedness and our interdependence as believers within local churches, it'll protect us from errors. And in verses 14 to 26, Paul deals with two errors that the body imagery protects us from. The first error is what we'll call the inferiority complex. The inferiority complex says, They don't need me, I don't have anything to give. I'm a mess. I've got nothing to offer. You know, I, if, if, I, if I went away, this church would be none the poorer. That, that kind of like, I, I'm nothing sort of view. Look at verse 14. Now the body is not made up of one part but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, because I don't have gifts like that, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You're here because God wants you here, and he's put you here, and you have a place. Isn't that awesome? If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are, again, many parts, one body. We need each other. So nobody can say, well, they don't need me because I don't have that gift. If I had that gift, they might need me, but now they don't. We're all part of the body. And so God has a purpose and a place for each one of us. 
and, and we can't tell ourselves that we don't belong. <coughs> you know, uh, one of the questions people often get, especially if you have kind of an inferiority complex about spiritual gifts, one of the questions is, well, how do I know what my gift is? Isn't that that's a question I often hear? What, what are my gifts? How do I discover that? Do you take one of those spiritual gift tests? Have you ever seen those tests you take where you answer questions? I, I mean, my own opinion is I find them fairly lame. I mean, just being honest. You know, do, have you ever spoken in tongues? No. You do not have the gift of tongues. Oh, thank you, survey. Wow. Um, how, okay, how do you find your spiritual gifts then? How do you find your spiritual gifts? I'm going to give you a two-step process for finding your spiritual gifts. Ready? Step number one. Get involved in relationships in a local church. You've got to get to know people, love them, and be in relationships. Because if the gifts are about the body ministering to the body, you've got to be in relationships with other people because that's what the gifts are for. I didn't say get plugged in as a volunteer in a local church, though that's good too and that's a positive thing. We have lots of opportunities to volunteer. But get involved in relationships in the local church. Get to know the other members of the body. And then, here's the second step, pray for and be concerned about the spiritual good of those people you're getting to know. Once I start getting to know people, and once I'm concerned about their spiritual growth in Christ, what happens is that gifts, I think, they just start bubbling out and up. Because I'll start being like, how can I help them? I love that person now. I want them to grow. And then the gifts will start coming out to help that person. So, for instance, let's say I'm in a a growth group Bible study and we're all getting to know each other and love each other and someone falls on hard times in my growth group and they're going through some struggle. You know, one person in the growth group who, who like, you know, studies their Bible for an hour and a half every day and and they're like, oh, wow, I've been in this in Job and I've been learning so much from Job and and they want to go to that struggling person and be like, can I just share some verses with you from Job? Let me tell you what I learned here and here and here. And I thought about you and then this and this and this. You could very well have the gift of teaching, my friend because you have this instinct to explain and teach and apply God's Word to people. Or maybe you see that struggling person and and you go, is anyone making them dinner? I'm making you dinner. I'm going to bring dinner over. You may have the gift of helps and mercy. Or maybe someone else says, yeah, that's a good idea making dinner. We need a lot of dinners. That's going to overload you. Okay, I'm sending out a spreadsheet this week and everyone's going to sign up for the dinners. Okay, You might be an administrator or a leader. But it's, it's happening naturally in relationships. Or, or, or maybe you've just been praying for that person. You're like, I don't know what to do. But every time I pray, I just feel like I, I want to tell them, God has not given up on you. I, I feel like that's what God wants to tell them is that he hasn't given up on them. And so you pull them aside and you say, you know, I, I just, every time I pray for you, this is what's in my, my heart. God's not left you. God's with you. Maybe you have the gift of prophecy. Maybe you hear from God in, in different ways, and, and you have impressions and things to tell people. We'll talk more about that in chapter 14. But you see, gifts come out not through some institutionalized system of plugging people into slots, though we have opportunities to volunteer in the church, lots of them, in fact. But if you want to find your gifts, you've got to be with the people for whom the gifts were meant to be, be in relationship So step one of finding your gifts is come out of isolation and just connect. Even if it's just one person, start connecting. Start pushing into the relationships of the body 
and watch how the gifts start bubbling out. And then, you can, then you'll know people, and you can ask people, what do you think my gifts are? And then, you know, all five of your friends will be like, oh, yeah, definitely this. And you go, what? Uh, last night around the dinner table, we were, uh, my family and I were talking about 1 Corinthians 12, and, and we sort of played that game. We said, so what do you think everyone's gifts are? We said, what do you think mommy's gifts are? And uh, my, two of my kids and myself had the same answer. We all said, wisdom. You know, my wife just has horse sense. I need, like, horse sense in my life because I'm up here in the clouds floating around with ideas. I'm a visionary, big-picture, annoying person. And she's like common sense on the ground. She just has wisdom. She can listen to a problem and be like, well, what about this, this, and this? And you're like, "Ah, yeah, why didn't I think of that? Wisdom, insight, navigating life through practical advice. And you can see that when you know other people. But if you're not in a relationship and you're just sitting on the sidelines waiting for someone to figure out your gifts and put you to work, you're going to be waiting. You need to press in. The other gift, the other problem, and I'll just quickly move on this one. The other error that the body imagery <coughs> excuse me, protects us from is that it protects us from the error of a superiority complex. So one problem is the inferiority complex. They don't need me. The other problem is the superiority complex. We don't need him. Eh, I don't know why you're here. Right? Look at, look at verses uh, 21 to, to 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Superiority complex. We don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, the private parts, is literally what he's talking about, are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Ever had a sore back? One part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We're all interconnected in a local church, in a body of Christ. What a beautiful picture that is. But we can't say we don't need that person. We can't say because they've got these struggles and and, and they're just barely coping that we don't need them. God's put them there in the church. And and we can't say, well, that person, you know, they're not very educated or or they don't have a lot of status in the community. No, 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 because Paul said back in verse 13, one spirit is given, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. What What if you were a church in ancient Rome and you're a master and you had a slave, and your slave was, giving a, was given a huge gift of teaching and leadership. Wouldn't that be weird? What if the slave was the elder <laughs> in the church? Crazy things like that could have happened because the Spirit gives gifts wherever He wants. So in the church, social status is not the issue. It's that we're all part of the body. We all care for each other. We all need each other. It is our natural tendency to look down on people who have different types of gifts than us. It's our natural human tendency to think that my gifts are the central thing and other people's gifts are the secondary thing. Right? Let me give you a quick for instance, then we'll, we'll wrap this up. Here's a for instance. 1 Peter chapter 4. Don't turn there. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter divides the gifts into two major clumps. He says there's speaking gifts, and then there's serving, doing gifts. There's the talking, studying, thinking, teaching kinds of people. And then there's the doing, serving, hands-on, boots-on-the-ground kind of gifts. 
And he sort of divides them, the speaking and serving that way. And, and it's easy when you, when you have a strong gifting in one of those two areas to look down on the other gift, right? So if, if you're a teaching, speaking, thinking, theology, truth kind of person, you're, you're always going to be kind of like all those people who are telling you to do something. Be like, slow down, man. We've got to think this through. We've got to study the Bible. We've got to look at God's Word. You guys are just always charging off doing stuff. Like, stop and think about what God's Word has to say. And the doers are always looking over at the thinkers saying, just get out of your Bible study and serve the Lord. There's people right here in front of us, and you want to talk about it and theologize about it, and and we need to get out there and change the world. Come on. Obviously, they need each other. These people need those people to keep them from just being ivory tower theoreticians and to help them put their faith in action. These people over here need those people to keep from just going off on crazy missions and losing, losing the gospel. You know, that's what happened to a lot of the Protestant church in the 20th century with the social gospel movement. They gave up the gospel. They said the purpose of the church is to better society. And the church went theologically liberal, and now liberal theological churches are dropping like flies because they lost the gospel. And they thought the gospel was just being good and doing good deeds. And we need the gospel. We need to live the gospel. And we all need each other. So the next time you find yourself on a committee or ministry in the church, and theoretically, I know this never happens, you find yourself irritated by someone else on that committee. Why is she on this committee? Why is he heading up this ministry? Stop and consider the possibility that God has put them there as a balance to you. <laughs> Consider that people are leaving that committee saying, why are, am I on that committee? What if God is, is, is using this whole complexity to grow us? Maybe, maybe that what that person is there for is just to develop my patience or my kindness or my gentleness. What if, that, what if their gift is just kind of being them and being obtuse and God's using it to shave off edges of my life? One of the themes throughout this whole chapter, I hope you've seen it, one of the huge themes in this chapter is the absolute sovereignty of God. Have you heard it? Jesus is Lord. The Spirit gives to whom He wills. God has arranged the body as He designs. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is a Trinitarian chapter, and it's all about the fact that God has arranged His body the way He wants it. You get this picture here of God as this great, this great uh, conductor with this global symphony that He is conducting of believers using their gifts. God is this super genius air traffic controller who's got members in this church here, and he sent, okay, it's time for you to get relocated. Why is my job relocating me? Because I'm going to put you in that church there. And you're going there and move you around. Oh, I'm only here. Well, now you're going there. And God is just moving his body around. You're staying here. You're moving. You're using this gift. They need that gift there. And God can see it all, and he's this super genius guy who can, who can orchestrate the whole thing perfectly like a symphony. Because it's his church his gifts, His Spirit, His salvation for us. And He's Lord over it. So when you find people that don't make sense in your life, pause and think, I wonder why God has put them there. What is God doing? 
Maybe I need to grow. Maybe that's why you're in my life and I'm in your life, because we need each other. That's what the Corinthians were missing in all of this. And so we serve each other with the gifts. So just fig- figure it out, get involved. I was telling the first service, this, is, uh, this right here, this cup, this is a spiritual gift. You didn't realize that. There's a woman in this church, not going to say her name, but every Sunday she brings this cup of water, fills it up, and puts it on the pulpit. It's not a part of a committee. It's not overseen by a ministry. There's no budget line item for this. <laughs> but she has a gift of helps. And she's one of those practical people. And she's like, wow, I bet when Jeremy preaches for 20 minutes, you know, every Sunday, um, th- th- I, bet, uh, I bet his voice gets, I bet he needs water. And so she's like, I'm going to get him water. And she puts it there. And, and then sure enough, I get preaching and then I get thirsty. And I'm like, wow, that's magic. There's water on my pulpit. Just because she knows me, she's plugged in. I need people like that. I'm, I'm totally clueless about practical needs. I, I just don't, I don't see it. I, like, I'm up in the clouds. Ideas, theory, plans, dreams, visions. You know, you want to figure out dreams for your life? Come talk to me. Want to figure out practical needs? Not so much. I don't even know my own practical needs. Someone else has to see them for me. But that's how the body works. So here's a gift. It's operating every Sunday. No committee, no organization, no elder motion vote, no budget line item, I suppose, except for perhaps the money that pays for the cups. And this person does that for me. That's a gift. That's the body at work in subtle, humble ways. And we need each other. That's how God planned his body to work. Okay, last thought, and I'll close with this. There's one more thing you need to know about spiritual gifts, and this is critical. If you don't know this one thing and you launch off on a spiritual gift quest, it's all going to crash and burn. There's something so foundational, so fundamental, that if you don't get this one thing right, you using your spiritual gifts is is not only going to be a disaster, it could even be dangerous for the church. There's something you need that that is so basic to the spiritual gifts that every Christian has to have that if you don't have this thing, your spiritual gifts really are almost worthless to the church. And that one thing is what we're going to talk about next Sunday. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the church. I thank you for this this island of misfit toys, this, this gaggle of, of odd people drawn from all walks of life, Lord, all of us together, this, this bunch of redeemed sinners that you are weaving together by your Spirit to make a new humanity. This is the new humanity happening before our eyes that will populate the new creation. And so, God, I pray that this new Adam, this new man, this new humanity would be knit together as a body, Lord. I pray that your powerful Holy Spirit would be at work in our church. Help us, Lord, to love each other. Help us to take a step closer. Help us to move out of isolation and fear. Help us to believe your word, Lord. Help us to care for those who seem weak or broken, to look for the gifts hidden. Help us to take the time to to peel back the onion layers of each other's lives and find the gifts and to be blessed by each other. Oh God, if our church is a body, we pray that it would be a healthy body. We pray that it would be a fit body, a a fruitful body, 
a body that, that it reproduces other bodies, Lord. We pray that, that your church would grow. And so, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. I, I just pray again that you would give South Shore Baptist Church a fresh baptism of the Spirit so that we might be your ambassadors to the South Shore, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.